This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB Public Media app. From MPB Think Radio, this is Creature Comforts, the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. The weather's warmer, and now these charming bioluminescent creatures are lighting up the night sky. No matter if you call them lightning bugs or fireflies, people are reported seeing them around the state. So today we're going to talk with Lynn Faust and Claire Graves about these creatures and upcoming events at the Mississippi Craft Center. And as always, we're here to help you with your pet questions and want to hear about your recent encounters with nature. And if you miss Creature Comforts on Thursday, it repeats every Saturday morning at 6. So before we jump into things, we've got an early caller on the line. So why don't we go ahead and say good morning to Walker, who's calling in from uh, Carroll County. Walker, you're on the air with us, so go ahead. Uh, good morning, Kevin. Uh, actually, I called in for uh, uh, membership, but uh, since I got you, I had an event yesterday, which I'm going to relate and ask a question about. Uh, I live on Rural Road 85 here in Carroll County, and there was a land tortoise crossing the road as I drove to the post office yesterday, and it's a road that's uh, often used by logging trucks, so I figured, well, I'm going to save him or take him in and see what he eats. And uh, so far, he has not been interested in maple leaves or succulent leaves or kingway and chicken and potatoes, which was left over lunch. And this morning, I tried whole wheat uh, bread with butter and strawberry jam. Doesn't seem interested in any of those. He likes to be in the corner of the footlocker that I put him in and... Uh, try to escape, which I don't blame him. Okay, can you describe this turtle? You're saying a land tortoise. Is he a gopher tortoise, or is yes. he a box turtle? And it's a tortoise. It's hard shells, you know, the, 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 the ones that, uh, that, you know, they don't get in the water too much, I don't guess. I've got a pond, but... Uh, uh-huh. So he's, all right, he's a hard-shelled, and he's got those big digging feet, look almost like, his back feet kind of look like elephant feet, and his front feet look like little spades. Yep, yep. This, this is okay, so that's him. All right. He's an endangered species. And right. so, yeah, you, you, you may have saved him on the road, though. You did a good deed there. Um, if you know of a wildlife rehabber in your area, it might be good to call them and just let them decide where they need to put it back. You know, ordinarily we put them right back where we found them. But if you feel like it was a dangerous place for the tortoise to be, might need to be consulted. But, yeah, don't try to feed him anything that's human food at all. And I guess just for all our listeners, if you rescue in a box turtle or anything like that, food's probably not the very first consideration anyway. But if you do, for any reason, need to feed them, it should just be some kind of uh, raw fruit or vegetable. Okay, well, uh, I tried succulent leaves and maple leaves, but uh, uh, yeah, banana no, or... Yeah, or, not going to eat tree leaves at all. He's going to eat any kind of a... Oh, gosh, he'll eat any kind of fruit that you give him, probably, a little bit of apple or something, if you needed to do that. But uh, clover, they'll like clover. 
when you think about think about something that they could get on the ground. So a tree leaf is going to be a foreign thing to them because they, they're not going to eat something that's you know in the process of dying and falling off the tree. So uh, actually, uh, mm-hmm. some side of the road where up has just been clear cut, so there's lots of leaves on the ground, and he's probably been d- disturbed in his habitat, which is one of the reasons he was caught. I was yeah. going to back into nature. I'm going to put him back in nature, but I wanted to keep him around. Through this weekend, I got some kids coming to visit. I thought they might okay. enjoy it. Yeah. It, you, um, first thing okay. you need to do, though, is you need to either call the Department of Wildlife or uh, a wildlife rehabber and let them know that you have it because it is a protected species and you're not supposed to keep it for any recreational kind of purpose. I didn't know it was protected. I thought yeah. they were. I, I have a question. Go ahead, Judge Commander. How, how, how big is this turtle, tortoise? Uh. I'd say uh, with his with his head and his feet pulled in, the shell itself is going to be eight inches uh, on the back, and you know maybe six or seven inches uh, wide. I'm not certain of this. This is a gopher tortoise, so. Oh, you think it could be a water turtle, Troy? Or something else? I just don't know. It's eight inches. uh, From head to back, it's pretty small, and maybe a young one. I guess I'm just trying. Mm Yeah, to out it's either a what, it's either a big box turtle or a little gopher. I'm thinking, right? And again, what what county are you in? A uh, Carroll County. That estimate was about right. I'm looking at him right now, and he's pulled in, but the shell is is front to back, uh, some eight inches. Where's Carroll County? Okay. What part of the state is Carroll County, Walker? Uh, uh, north Central. Oh yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's it's in the it's in the uh, the piney woods above the Delta where Greenwood Greenwood is 20 miles. Away and, and Winona is six miles away. It's not his range, yeah, to be there, yeah. but it, I guess it could be a moved gopher tortoise. But I still think you need to. Well, you could send us a picture and we could solve that right now if you want to do it. And um, I, I'm 76 years old. I'm a luddite. I, I I'm talking <laughs> to you on a landline. Okay, <laughs> that's all right. Yeah, I would say. Um, oh gosh, this is going to be hard to do if you don't know what you've got for sure. You, you don't know how to send a picture to anybody. Let's see. Um, I hate for you just to let it go, especially if it happens to be a gopher tortoise and it's not in its area. Would Why'd a you, county you, extension agent be of any help at this point? It, it could be, but more, you probably just need to call your local wildlife fisheries and parks people or even call the main office for fisheries and parks and let them see because a biologist up there could run by and see what you've got yeah walker i think that'll probably be your best bet is to try to contact wildlife fisheries and parks just explain the situation to them and they probably could give you uh, the best advice uh, out there yeah because we need to know if it's one of those protected turtles i i agree now i can i referral but if, if you had a telephone number that went along with the referral that would be most helpful uh, keep Stay. listening. Let's see if, see if we can't uh, look that up and find. I'm sure they probably have it. Right a, here. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, it's going to take me a minute to pull it up in my phone. So why okay. don't we go on to the next, and I'll give it to the guy in the booth here. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. Or Walker, just keep listening, and uh, when Libby finds that, we'll go ahead and, and uh, give out the number on the air. And like I said, that's probably your best bet because they'll be able to kind of give you some advice on both what it is and then you know where you should go from this point. Thanks a lot. I was concerned about feeding it, but I, if it's an endangered species, of course, we need to be more concerned about its survival and getting back into nature. Yeah, yeah. And if, yeah, in the future when you need to feed them, just feed them some kind of raw fruit usually is going to be the best, or vegetable, celery, something like that. 
I've got some apples and bananas. I'll, I'll put those in. Okay, there. yeah, right. not a banana, but an apple might be good, yeah. All right, Walker, like I said, uh, keep listening. We'll get that number for you in just a few minutes when Libby can lo- locate it on her phone. So we appreciate your call to start things off. Uh, let's stay on the phone lines here to begin the show. Uh, Jack has called in from Pemberton, Tennessee. Looks like he might have a pet question for Dr. Major. Jack, what do you have for us? Uh, yeah, I just got a dog from the shelter. You know, I've had it maybe about six, eight weeks, and all of a sudden it started to chew. And I was just wondering about what age do they stop doing that, and what do you think the best treatment is? <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> uh, you know, it depends on the dog. A lot of some puppies never chew on stuff too much. Uh, is it a good sized dog? What what type of dog is it? Mixed breed? Um, an English pointer. Okay. I would Medium. say that most, yeah, most dogs between somewhere between six months and a year will stop chewing on stuff. Uh, offer them something that they like, nothing that they can swallow, but limit somewhat. Find something that would be the favorite. Uh, it's just, a, I don't know exactly what to say would help here, but they do make some fairly indestructible chew toys that uh, dogs can chew on and it's something that it likes. Uh, is it chewing on furniture or uh, anything? Uh, shoes and like corners right. uh, of books. Hmm. I would say this, that if you took a poll of, uh, gosh, 20 new, <coughs> new pet owners with puppies, that nearly every one of them are going to have some stuff chewing on you need to remove the, the valuable stuff that you don't want to uh, puppy to chew on and try to limit uh, what this puppy's got access to. <laughs> okay, that's, that's a good answer. I got, I got one other question. I'm trying to teach yes. you how to retrieve a ball, like a tennis ball. All my other dogs have, have done that. I can't get this one to do it. <laughs> it may come. I, I know... My wife is frustrated with one of our little dogs. She will not retrieve at all. And if some just will not. Uh, on the other hand, do you still have the other dogs that will retrieve? Yeah. Maybe no. by working. Well, I was going to say maybe working with them. But just encourage, will she go get the ball if you throw a ball? Or is she not in? Uh, if another dog, if the dog park chases one, she'll chase them. She won't pick it up, bring it back. Okay. Well, somebody, a listener may have a, a good answer to you for that. If they do, uh, have them call. But uh, just uh, keep working with her. I bet she will learn. Uh, and you said, what kind of dog again? English pointer. It's like a brown and white. Right. She should She should learn. Uh, I would give you uh, give her some time, and hopefully she will. Okay. Thank you very much. All right. You're uh, welcome. Thank you. Jack, thanks for the phone call. So, Libby, you uh, got in your contacts a rehabber, I think, in the area that Walker might be able to give a call to. Yeah, yeah, a couple of biologists that can help identify what it is and what's best to do with it. If you call the Museum of Natural Sciences phone number, 601-576-6000, and ask for Nicole Hodges or Tom Mann. Okay. Depending on who's there today, yeah. That would be good. All right. Good luck with it. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning with a question or comment, you can email animals at mpbonline.org. 
We've got uh, two guests on our show today that are no strangers to Creature Comforts. We're going to be talking with Claire Graves, a Firefly enthusiast who spearheaded an event next week that where you can watch the Fireflies at the Mississippi Craft Center. Also this hour, we'll talk with Lynn Faust. She's author of the book Fireflies, Glowworms, and Lightning Bugs, Identification and Natural History of the Fireflies of the Eastern and Central United States and Canada. And that, that is a mouthful for a title, but what a great book it is. Uh, we're going to start with Claire. Claire, thanks for joining us this morning. If you would talk about the fourth annual Snappy Sinks on the Natchez Trace, the event coming up. Hey, good morning, y'all. Thank y'all for having me today. We're really looking forward to this great event, fourth year, like you said, uh, next weekend, May the 18th through the 21st, right there at the Mississippi Craft Center in Ridgeland. And we'll be uh, giving Firefly tours. Folks can sign up and get a ticket in advance. And we've got a few different opportunities. First, we've got the Snappy Sink Soiree, which is a really fun party, food, music, wine, and then firefly tours. So some of our, our greatest firefly enthusiasts from all over the state come and hang out with us and have a great experience together on May the 18th. And we still have a few tickets left for that. We also have a nighttime firefly photography uh, workshop that people can sign up for that same night. Um, and we're really looking forward to having that right now. If you take a look at our Facebook page, Mississippi Firefly Tours, you can see some of the photos that people took last year. Um, so we're excited about that. And then we have just a few, maybe five tickets left for our regular Firefly Tours on Friday through Sunday night. So if you're wanting to come this year, you got to get them today. Um, I went last year, was very impressed. It was a, a great evening, a lot of fun, and, and certainly fascinating to see the the fireflies because you get to see uh, several different kinds of fireflies. So tell us a little bit more about what someone can expect to experience on the tour. Absolutely, Kevin. So we enjoyed having you last year and um, getting out in the dark with some of our uh, firefly friends. So uh, we do a 20-minute tour uh, through an area of the Natchez Trace, and we have a really incredible population of the synchronous snappy sink fireflies there. And we're checking on them this year. They're coming out. They're looking really good. Um, and so thousands of snappy sink fireflies close to the ground, really beautiful. But then, like you say, we have many other species at this particular site. Um, in total, we've seen at least eight species there. So we have uh, some of the slow glow fireflies that are kind of in the mid-range. And then we have lots of treetop fireflies. So fireflies from the floor to the ceiling. Um, and so you'll have Mississippi master naturalists there giving the tour. So folks that have studied on this and, and have some great firefly information to share and uh, answer lots of questions and hang out. It's a, it's a really fun and entertaining and educational experience. Yeah, I like the treetop ones for some reason. I just it like kind of cool looking up there and seeing all that uh, going on up there. But as as we've said, there's so many different ones. And uh, I also thought that the tour guides did a great job of, you know, shepherding us along and pointing things out and that kind of thing. And uh, other fun thing I thought was interesting, we all got the little red flashlight. So it's a little bit so we could see, but red apparently doesn't bother the fireflies. Is that what that was? Yeah, it's a, a lot less of an interference to have a red colored light than our, a regular white light because our fireflies are out there trying to see one another and uh, find love out in the dark and so if we're if we're out there shining bright lights on them they can't see one another and it, and it diminishes their ability to find one another in the dark and so uh, we really try to have an experience that is both lots of fun and and educational 
but also really respects the habitat, respects the fireflies. Um, and we've had a really great relationship with the Park Service and um, really thankful that they're letting us bring people out to see this natural resource that they have right in their backyards. So uh, what makes the Craft Center such a good place for firefly tours? Yeah, so it's got a perfect habitat for snappy sinks and for many other species. So it's an area that's not mowed frequently um, and in some areas not mowed at all. So there's lots of of trees, mixed pine and hardwood, lots of leaf cover on the ground, um, and then just undisturbed. No pesticide use in that area. Uh, Limited light pollution because it's right there on the trace. Um, So it's, it's a really ideal spot for these special fireflies to come out. Uh, Now, you mentioned that tickets are going quickly. If uh, someone wants to try to grab one of the remaining tickets, uh, where do they go to to do that? Yeah, so um, you can get a ticket by going to 2023fireflytours.eventbrite.com. Or like I say, you can find us on Facebook and get a link there by searching Mississippi Firefly Tours. And that's that's a good spot to find us and to see some of the, the photos and some of the other experiences. And we're also promoting some of the other great Firefly events throughout the state. Very good. Claire Graves, thanks for joining us a little bit this morning, talking about the fourth annual Snappy Sinks on the Natchez Trace, uh, taking place not this weekend, but next. Uh, this is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Our other guest of the hour is Lynn Faust. We're going to get to Lynn in just a minute, but we do have another caller on the line uh, that wants to comment on the uh, the call we had on the uh, shelter dog, I believe. But anyway, it's Rick who's uh, on the road this morning. What do you have for us, Rick? Well, I was gonna, I had trained springers for 30 years for hunting and hunt tests, and in conjunction with throwing the ball and having the dog chase it, he also needs to learn the command to come. Because once he gets the ball, you want him to return it. If he doesn't know what come means, um, you're going to fight him just running around the yard. All right. Very good. Uh, Thanks for that. Uh, Dr. Majors, that sound about right? Did the add that command might uh, help things out? It should. And that's a great suggestion. You know, in any time you're training a dog, get the basics down. In other words, they need to know how, you know, commands. Uh, Stay. In other words, you want your dog to sit, uh, teach them how to lead on a, you know, with a leash and uh, collar. And I appreciate that comment because if they learn those and the command come, uh, I think you can probably really see some improvement as far as retrieving. All right, uh, Rick, thanks for calling in this morning. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. As I mentioned, our other guest this hour is author Lynn Faust. So, uh, Lynn, we talked with Claire Graves about the event going on at the Mississippi Craft Center. Have you ever been out there to see the fireflies? I have. Hello, everybody. And Claire did a great job. And I um, have seen them several years ago before the tours began and realized they were fairly widespread along the Natchez Trace. They're widespread everywhere in the in your area, actually throughout Mississippi. So it's such an exciting and fun species. And uh, so encourage people to go outside at night with no lights. Don't look at your smartphone because it will blind, it will ruin your night vision. And uh, find your own little populations. They're in usually in deep woods and they're coming out right now and the peak will be sometime in the next week or 10 days so it's a perfect time to see if you have any at your place and there's some right in 
the cities, if there's some woodlots left or some some older woods left or a bigger yard, uh, although you'll find the most out, out away from the city lights and pesticides and all of that. But it's a fun species because they are truly synchronous in large numbers. So if I remember correctly, a firefly is actually a type of beetle. Is that right? Yeah. It, yes, the firefly is a beetle. Um, I grew up calling them lightning bugs. Um, I'm embarrassed to say I do call them fireflies now. It's one less syllable. It's just easier <laughs> to say. And, uh, you know, the media has popularized them, and the, the term lightning bug seems to be dying out. But they're, they're the same thing. And, um, yeah, and they're a type of beetle, but they're, I think, the best type of beetle because they flash and glow. Now, you mentioned snappy sinks, and I think that's kind of the the, the star, although, I, uh, as we mentioned, there are several times you can see if you go out, and I do like some of the other ones, but these snappy sinks really are incredible. Talk to us about what they are and what they do. Well, their scientific name is Photurus uh, frontalis, and uh, you don't need to remember that. Snappy sinks has caught on as a common name, and that works because it's a very snappy flash. Depending on the temperature, they'll flash once to twice a second so the hotter it is the faster they flash it's all about sex it's all males you're going to be seeing and the males are flashing hoping for an answer from the female who stays kind of hidden in fact for this one species it's one of the great mysteries where are those females um i've spent days nights in the field looking for the female answer and we haven't found it. We've got some crazy theories. But in most species, you can find the females. They're easy. You know, you find them. But in the snappy sinks, it's a mystery. One theory is they might be out there flying with the males. And so it's kind of hard to detect them. But anyway, it's all about sex. So the male can find the female. female chooses which male she wants. They mate. She lays eggs. And that way we'll get to have um, the Craft Center show next year. Those eggs will be adults by next year. So, and is there a way that the male firefly can show off like my 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 glow is better than my buddies here? I mean, <laughs> what do they... Well, yeah, that's a good question. And actually, in some species, it's, it is obvious that they try to outdo the other males that are hanging around in the snappy sinks. Because they synchronize as a huge group of thousands, and it's very precise once they get going and once you have a certain density, um, I don't know. I, they, I don't, we don't really know how that particular female chooses the male. Um, but it's sort of like their mass synchrony is what attracts the females. They're going to hang out where there's a big mass synchrony going on. They're not going to go fly over to where there's no one flashing. So it it's uh, sort of a crescendo, like you get a big crowd cheering and clapping, and it starts feeding on itself the energy. And you get that same feeling when you're watching the mass display of the snappies. So in essence, they're all helping each other out to be the lucky one who gets the mate. <laughs> I think they are. Yeah, I think they are. And this genus is very complex, and I don't want to get too nerdy on you, but it is the one genus, that means the larger group of fireflies. We've got about seven common genera in the southeast. Um, but this genus, the females are predatory and will eat all the other fireflies. Um, 
in, but this particular Fatura species is less predatory than all the other ones. So they're kind of the sweeter version of this group. Um, and so it's not as obvious in this species, although it does happen. I've seen it happen. Um, but it's only the females, and they will eat their own males. And so it's not a lot of leisurely mating that goes on. The, uh, the matings I've observed in this group, they last less than five minutes because those males are nervous. They're afraid they'll get eaten at the end of the, the great affair. So they get it done and try to fly away before the female turns around and eats them. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. It's Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Two guests this hour were visiting with Lynn Faust and Claire Graves. We're talking today about fireflies. If you missed any of today's show, you can always subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app or just download the MPB public media app for your smartphone. Then you get access to all the local MPB Think Radio programs on your schedule. So, Claire, we talked with you in the first part of the show about the event at the Mississippi Craft Center, uh, but do you have an event coming up at one of the state parks? Oh, I'm super excited about the tours that are happening at Waldoxy. I'm not organizing that, but I am going to come and and just help out. Um, But Waldoxy State Park in Holly Springs has an incredible firefly display, snappy sinks just coming and going everywhere. Um, and some other great species there at Holly Springs. And so I've had the opportunity to just go out there as a guest. Um, And then this year, the state parks are organizing a great event. Um, It's going to be free to the public. Um, So some of our North Mississippi listeners um, could go up there and check it out. And I'm really looking forward to it, June the 2nd through the 4th. And Libby, I think, will be there, too. Right. Yeah. And it's um, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. You know, that is the historic place. That's the place where they were first seen in the state years ago because Lynn saw them there before she had written her book and then I guess it was maybe the next year we saw them here in the Jackson area and came on on air and Lynn heard us and you know called and that's when she came down and we found that there were many more in the state she was thinking that it was primarily a Tennessee thing and they just happened to be down here a little bit uh, because that's so close to the Tennessee line up there, but so it's it'll be really exciting to expose those a little bit more to people. Uh, they've been flashing for years up there, and uh, the park is always taking good care of them and glad to have them. So uh, this year they've decided to do it up a little bit bigger and invite people from all over the state to come. You do need to call if you want a cabin, and there are cabins available, cabins and uh, campsites. We're taking our camper up there. And it's a beautiful park anyway, and lots going on. But then the other thing, we haven't gotten to talk Lynn very much, but there's a, a a new species. We all know enough about snappy sinks now to know that they're not terribly rare. Uh, but uh, Lynn has found what we call the cypress flasher, and it's a Photurus waldoxii named for the park because that's where she saw them. And uh, we've since found them along the Natchez Trace again and a few other places. So that's kind of what we're on the lookout for now as well as the um, snappy sinks so you'll be able to see hopefully that rare species there too there won't be as many of those as there will be snappy sinks uh, Lynn can you tell us a little bit more about this uh, this new kind 
Okay, uh, Faturus waldoxii, named for the park, and I accidentally stumbled on them in 2017, and it was so astounding. They display out around the cypress, over the water. Mm. So the male flashes not only are beautiful, but they reflect on the water, and I actually believe that is part of their mating strategy because it doubles their flashes. And um, they're interesting. They are also aphotaurus, the same genus as the snappies, but these are very predatory, the females of this bunch. But what's interesting about them, A, is they've been here all along, and we're just now noticing them. Um, But B, they are associated with usually cypress trees, but swamp habitats. We've now found them as as far north as um, Indiana and Illinois, but every population we have found thus far is on a tributary that drains ultimately into the Mississippi. And, um, and so they come all the way down. What, what I'm hoping some of your listeners, they're out right now, and if you have a swampy area with cypress or gum trees, you know, kind of a swampy area, go out and look tonight. The flash is one of the most complex in nature for lightning bugs. It will do five quick flashes, uh, more or less, average of five, flash, 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 and then a glow. A quick glow follows the five flashes. And um, I've sent links to Libby. I don't know if you all post links on your radio station, but once you see it, it's very easy to recognize. You don't have to be a firefly expert. It's it's like, wow, what is that bug doing? And that's called a flash train. So instead of one flash, they do a train of flashes of the five quick ones followed by a loopy glow. And um, they're, um, it's just fun. They are not as dramatic as the snappies. If you look into a peak night of snappies, in a good habitat where there are literally thousands that will blow your head off. Um, these are just more interesting because it's like, how do these fireflies know how to keep that perfect rhythm? And, um, and again, it is about mating. It's always males that you're seeing, and the females are kind of hidden down in the vegetation. We, we know about these females because I have found them. Um, so, but it's something unique, and we do not know yet. Are they in the Delta area? So, if you got anybody listening in the, you know, the really low area, um, really anywhere in Mississippi, we also don't know how far south they go. Uh, they have been found in uh, Jackson at that cypress swamp, but I've just never had a chance to go any further south. I feel like they should be there. So, this is a great place if anyone's interested. Go look for the cypress fireflies and maybe let Creature Comforts know or Libby know, and she can start mapping those populations just like they've been mapping the snappies. Um, but Mississippi is like heaven for fireflies with the humidity and the forests, and you've got so many different things and so many different habitats. So um, I'm not surprised it's so good there in Mississippi. Um, We have snappies in East Tennessee. They actually go all the way up to Delaware, but our piddly numbers are nothing compared to what I've seen in Mississippi. So you all are kind of heaven 
for certain species of fireflies. Well, it's, it's good to know somebody appreciates the humidity here in Mississippi, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's good and humid. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to continue our firefly discussion in a minute, but we do have a caller on the line. It's Rita calling in from uh, Gulfport. Go ahead, Frida. Um, I was calling, I was curious about in the intermission or the prelude to your show, there was some bird sounds, and um, I I want to say I recognize them as they call it the whistle or the tree duck, and I just was calling to see if somebody knew what those birds were. You know, I don't even hear those because in the studio we don't hear what you hear out there. I'll listen to the yeah, rebroadcast and, and find out, okay? And uh, okay. Rita... Afrida, if you have uh, email access, you could email the show and our producer, Java, who puts together that sort of stuff for us. He could probably give you some information. Okay. I, I wanted to thank you for the uh, young lady talking about this. I grew up calling the fireflies also, and I've always wondered if the firefly and that light, I mean, I call them the lightning bugs. And that is the firefly, and she made that clear that that is the same thing. I appreciate that very much all these years. I always wonder. All right. Thanks for listening. And again, if you would. Regional difference. Yep. Go ahead, uh, Frida, and send it to dot org, and we'll see if we can't get that information about uh, the bird sounds on our on our lead into the show. Well, thank you, and you guys have a great day. I love your shows. Thank you. Uh, let's stay on the phone lines. Looks like we've got a uh, Firefly question coming from our friend Craig in Biloxi. Good morning, Craig. You're on the air. Yeah, good morning. Uh, is there any way you can navigate? I mean, any kind of light you can use to navigate out there? It's pretty dark. You, you yeah, don't want to run into things. Yeah, you can certainly use a red light. Or sometimes we'll use a a, a, a red light, but shine it on the ground so we can see where we're walking, but it doesn't doesn't cause as much disturbance and what I kind of like to do is when I start seeing the flashing is then just cut off all the light and just stand there you don't have to keep walking if you're if you can't see where you're going um last night we found a a lot and it was a little bit you know I've I've veered off into the deep woods a couple into the deep grass and vegetation more than I probably meant to because i didn't have the light on at all last night but uh, it's yeah you can play it out but the most important thing is to get out there in the dark and get your eyes used to the dark and now that i i spend so much time in the dark outside particularly in the spring like this in may but um your eyes get much better in the dark it's just amazing mm-hmm. if you'll if you'll go ahead and spend 10 minutes completely in the dark even if you use a little bit of light after that your eyes are are just really attuned to it all i downloaded a uh, red image and i use that as a uh, red light when i want to keep my night vision oh that's and a great can, idea yeah I, yeah yeah on the phone screen and i can set the dimness way down and keep it way down is there any kind of light that will chase them away for a while? Like, it, like if, like if you accidentally hit a, a flashlight on or something, will that chase them away? Definitely, yeah. It'll just shut them down. They either move, leave the area, or stop blinking for a while. Okay. Car lights are the very worst. All right, uh, Craig. Uh, thanks for your call this morning. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Let's bring uh, Claire Graves back into the conversation here for a minute. So, Claire, we talk a lot on Creature Comforts about citizen science. Uh, is that going on with fireflies? Are you getting reports from other people around the state letting you know where they're seeing them? 
Yeah, absolutely. I've got some really faithful firefly spotters that report. A lot of mine are, are up farther north in Mississippi right now, and so they haven't gotten theirs yet. Um, but we get reports from folks all the way from Marion County up to Alcorn County you know, um, of firefly spotting. Yeah, Claire, I, I think you and I both, we all need people in South Mississippi to report mm-hmm. on them more. Um, we feel sure that that they're down there, but um, I haven't found very many populations yet. We, yeah, we know it's, it's hard. We know there's huge populations in Covington, Louisiana. So they're yes. all the way down almost to New Orleans. So if all the South Mississippi people know that, they are there because somehow they go from there straight up to Jackson. Yeah. And they're happening, but we need more people reporting in. Mm-hmm. And uh, ditto for the Cypress mm-hmm. Swamp. And I will make just a little reminder, because when we talk about them as though they're moving, that's that's mm-hmm. kind of a wave of emergence. These don't migrate like we're talking about all of our um, migratory songbirds that um, right. we've been enjoying. But they're actually in, you know, we use a lot of euphemisms for, but these guys live one year and die. So after they, this this is the swan song, I guess, the, uh, the blinking shows and the... Uh, dancing around looking for their mates they will all die but they lay their eggs in the you know the the leaf cover right on the top of the ground that's why we don't want to mow in those habitats where we know where they are and uh the little larvae will stay there all year they pupate for a little while for a few weeks right lynn and really Mm -hmm. a slower pupating than i would think because they can they pretty much make it through the winter hunting and then they emerge. So they emerge, though, as as it gets hotter going. So they emerge in the southern parts of their range first. And then as you go um, north, they'll start emerging. But they're not those individuals are not moving north. So Correct. if you've only got a year, what a way to go out, huh? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. uh, Yeah, they go out with a flash. (laughs) Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, Libby Harfield, and our guests for the hour, Lynn Faust and Claire Graves. We've been talking fireflies this hour. So uh, we've got a couple of minutes left. Um, Lynn, I wanted to ask you, you've mentioned a couple of times how the flashing is in a part of a mating uh, ritual. Do they flash to communicate in other ways, or is this strictly a mating thing? Mating is the primary flash most people will see, and that's what you go out to see on these firefly walks and nights. They actually do use flashing in several other ways. Um, If one gets caught in a spider web, it will give a distress flash regardless of species, usually a single flash kind of saying, help, (laughs) I want out of the spider web. Um, And there is actually private dialogue once a male finds a female particularly in uh, groups of lots of male competition, they will switch to a private flashing that's not like you see going through the air. Usually it's a back and forth. Basically the male flashes, I'm your guy. Do you like me? And she'll do a single flash back that must say to him, hey, I kind of like you. Come on closer. I'm the right species. Because, uh, again, keep in mind in north america well in all of the americas there are the predatory ones so it's not as simple as just finding your mate and mating they all have to be careful not to get eaten by the predatory mimic the fakers out there who can give the same flash and try to attract them 
Oh, now that's kind of a dog. That's dirty dog pool there, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not as it's not all about love. Everybody goes, "Oh, I wish I were a firefly." It's like, well, not really. <laughs> you might get eaten after you mate, or you might <laughs> try to mate with the wrong one and she eats you. So, um, yeah. So there's actually a much more complex repertoire of flashes, but ninety five percent of the time, what we see as humans is the male courtship flash. We've got uh, one final call to get to here this morning. Let's uh, invite Justin, who's called in from Mobile. Justin, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. What uh, she's asking, Lynn, is um, when there's any water nearby with the fireflies, would any sort of boat traffic affect what they're doing, the flashing? And my guess would be they're maybe a little skittish in that anything might sort of cause them to temporarily shut down. Uh, so if the boat has lights, yes, that will really disturb them. Um, and in Thailand, their best synchronous displays are along rivers, and they have found that boat traffic is negatively affecting the populations, but it's mainly the big spotlights they use. So you don't want to go around at night in your boat in the dark and run into things, but... Um, <laughs> The the least light you can use, and as Libby said, the longer you can get your eyes adapted to the dark, um, and the older you are, the longer it takes. So if you're 15 or 20, your eyes will adapt in a couple of minutes. Now, at my age, it might be up to 10 minutes. And so when I said don't look at your phone, um, that'll wreck your night vision. And everybody wants to look at their phone when they're out there with fireflies. So, uh, but I, mean, <laughs> I, I could not hear the question, but that's my answer. Okay. Uh, we've <laughs> got, got about a minute left. Uh, Lynn, what's the Firefly population? Is it is it healthy? It's Well, it's healthy in some places, and it's struggling in a lot more places. If, if you have intact habitat that's dark and not sprayed for mosquitoes and things, they're doing pretty well in those areas. So that's why... I'd, the importance of state parks, national parks, conservation areas, nature conservancy, wildlife management areas, that's where they're doing pretty well. Um, but when you put in a new subdivision, you have just wiped out every single, you know, firefly that lives there, and very few will return. So they, each species is very habitat-specific, and so the more sensitive habitats they get wiped out. And some have females that do not fly, not all of them, but those disappear the first because they can't really recolonize. Um, But the ones we've been talking about today, the females can fly, but none of them are very good flyers. It's more like, you know, 100 feet away or something might be their lifetime journey. All right, we are just about out of time. Uh, time, no enough to remind you that uh, if you ever see something when you're out and about, uh, a, an animal, a creature, uh, something that you can't identify but you think we might could help you identify, snap a picture of it with your smartphone and email it to animals at mpbonline.org, and we'll see if we can't help you figure out what it exactly it is you are seeing. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio with funding provided in part by contributions from listeners. To hear today's show or previous show, you can visit creaturecomforts.com. 
www.mpbonline.org. Our show was produced by Java Chapman today. Our engineer was Abram Nanny, and our call screener was Liz Gill. So for Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guests, Lynn Faust and Claire Graves, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to stay tuned because up next, it's autocorrect. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts heard only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.